0: And now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey, everyone. How you doing? Is everybody sweating balls? (laughs) I know I am. Good Lord. I live in Southern California. For those of you who don't know, I'm in LA and uh, it's already so hot and i'm watching what's happening in seattle and portland and these sort of unprecedented heat waves and i know that last year in la in august or september when it gets crazy crazy hot last year we hit 120 degrees i don't i'm terrified about where we're going to get to this this year oh good lord and i also don't have central air so that's fun Um, When I got divorced and I moved out of my really beautiful home was the first house I ever lived in with a dishwasher and central air. (laughs) And I was only there for a couple short years and then uh, I moved out, you know, and I had to, as I've talked about a lot, I had to downgrade. And um, so I am still in the same house 12 years later. It's an amazing house. I love it. But it does not have central air which I'm starting to think might be untenable uh, in this area. <laughs> thinking that like landlords may have to start installing those sorts of things uh, in Southern California. Anyway, climate change is real, y'all. How about that? Climate change is real, and it's happening fast. Holy crap, That's a whole other podcast. But today, I have with me somebody, I'm I'm super excited about this. I read her book last year sometime, and I became obsessed with it, and I followed her on Instagram, and I became a super fan, and then one day I just, like, asked her if she would come on my podcast, and she was like, sure, and then we had this awesome conversation, and so I'm super excited to bring you my conversation with Caroline Dooner. She's the author Of the Fuck It Diet. And (laughs) she's a writer, a humorist, and the author of The Fuck It Diet. And The Fuck It Diet is a book for chronic dieters who want to heal their relationship with food. Hello. (laughs) Uh, That was me. And this book was really instrumental um, in my healing process. And also because she's a humorist, she's super funny and she talks like me. I mean, she has the title Fuck. She has the word fuck in the title of her book. So, y'all know, you all know I love her. And she's currently writing her second book on toxic self help and burnout. Um, And she's also like a lot of talk about rest and what that means, which is something that I have also been learning about thanks to my therapist who. Told me I didn't know how to rest and is teaching me how a little bit more. But so I can't wait for that book, for her second book on that. That's all I have to say. I was super excited to be able to talk to Caroline about this topic. Um, as most of you know, it's a topic that's really, really close to my heart. It's, I've been going through my own struggles with um, chronic dieting for, you know, you know, with quitting chronic dieting for the last many years. And so it's a process, it's a journey. And Caroline's book is the bomb. So here she is. Caroline Dooner, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Oh my god, I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to this for yeah. a long time. <laughs> so, all right. So let's let's just dive in and talk about. I mean, you've written one of my favorite books, probably of all time, Aww, um, the Fuck It so nice. <laughs> <laughs> The first time I saw the title is like when it was coming out and you were promoting it. So I was like. Oh my God! I'm obsessed with this woman. <laughs> we can <to> be friends because <laughs> she uses "fuck" in the title of her book. So that was all I needed to know. But then also, you know, we have similar similar paths and histories as actors. So that's oh, that yeah. as well. Yeah. So and that I think that plays into some of this, of course, for all for of sure. us, right? But for let's sure. just sort of let's sort of dig in. Let's like let's start. Let's start at the beginning. Why are we so addicted to food? <sighs> well.
1: We all, most of us feel very, very addicted to food. And we're sure that we are food addicts because we feel and act like food addicts. We uh, think about food nonstop. We don't have control over food. We try to go on diets and it only lasts so long. And then we binge and eat the entire pantry or we say, oh, I'll just have one cookie. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to be balanced. And then we eat the entire packet and we're like, uh, oh, it's proof. I am a food addict. Right. I can't, do, I can't do it in moderation. Exactly. And, you know, I experienced this. I was, a, I was a chronic dieter and I felt like a food addict and I was sure I was a food addict. I mean, I acted like a food addict. I, everything that I did confirmed I am a food addict. I have no self control around food. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about it nonstop and I'm hungry all the time. And I, you know, I can be really, really good on a diet for X amount of weeks or even X amount of months. And then I lose it because of this addiction. Right, And I was just so sure of it. And it just kept proving itself to me. It's same,
0: same,
1: same, (laughs) same, but, and and then I would, you know, I even read the book intuitive eating and I was like, Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I, I, I didn't even, I didn't, I never even considered the fact that dieting could potentially make me, you know, a little crazy around food. And, but I, I, I attempted to eat intuitively from this very, afraid and diet mentality place where I was like, okay, well, maybe if I perfectly listen to my body, then I will eat a normal, you know, quote unquote, normal amount of food. And it just didn't work. Like it, it worked for a couple of weeks again. And then I was like, Oh, no, no, I am a food addict. And so I did that to myself. I kept putting myself on diets and kept being so frustrated for 10 solid years. And I, I finally realized, and I can explain kind of what took me there, but what I eventually learned, which became sort of the basis of the fuck it diet. And then all the research that I did, and then all of the things that I've continued to write about is that food addiction in the way that we think of an addiction, like a drug addiction does not actually exist, but what does exist is a very real food fixation. That's actually on happening on purpose because of dieting and restriction. Mm -hmm. So, and then even for the people who are listening, who are like, no, I swear I was a food addict before I started dieting. So was I, as a child, I was a binge eater. I was, you know, it was like a joke. I was a very thin child. So I didn't have to deal with any weight stigma or fat phobia as a child. It wasn't, it was never about, losing weight as a child. I never thought about weight, but I still grew up in this extremely health conscious house. And there were so Mm -hmm. many rules around food Mm -hmm. and I was obsessed. I mean, I really, it was like, I didn't even realize this was happening, of course, at seven years old, but I felt extremely denied, even though I wasn't, it's not like I was actually underfed. I felt denied the kinds of food that, that I saw my friends eating in their lunchbox and at Mm -hmm. their house. And I became obsessed and I would basically hoard food and binge on food every chance that I got. And then it only got worse and worse and worse and worse once I was a teenager and I started dieting. Mm -hmm. So really this kind of condition that we're all put in, in our culture, where we all feel this kind of constant guilt around food and this constant dialogue of, oh, well, you know, even if we're not on a formal diet, that constant dialogue of well, oh, I really shouldn't be eating this. And maybe, you know, I'll eat it today, but I, I definitely won't eat it for the rest of the month. And you know, I'll, you know, I'm gonna really be good tomorrow and I'm gonna blah blah, blah And mm, all of that stuff is like our bodies and our brains are not separate. Like this this very, very primal, some people call it the the famine response. Some people call mm-hmm. it well, that's really what it is. It's a famine response. <laughs> and what's happening when we actually physically restrict like when we really put ourselves on a diet that's like actually physically restricting calories or carbs or whatever that will jog it and if anyone's been on a lot of diets they may notice that in the beginning or they may have noticed that in you know the first couple of diets they went on were actually a lot easier like it actually was more quote-unquote successful maybe for a longer amount of time Mm -hmm. because our bodies aren't aren't wired to fight back as quickly as when it's happened over and over and over again. So it is like this adaptive thing that our bodies are like, oh, God, we're in another famine, like we can't let this happen again. And so we have this idea that our bodies are against us and our bodies are, you know, our bodies and our brains are are addicted to food and we need to just get a hold of it and be better with our willpower and do it like we did it the first time but actually our bodies have been trying to fight back because it is not a sustainable way to live. And it's not the way we're meant to eat. It's actually really like counter to our nature to constantly restrict food and to Mm -hmm. not trust our body's appetite and our cravings. And, you know, a lot of the objections to this too, is, well, you know, I definitely do eat for comfort or I do, you know, there are people who have, eating as a, as a response as a trauma response. And all mm-hmm, of those things mm-hmm, are true. All there mm-hmm. are other reasons that we may eat for comfort, but it's still not an addiction right. and you still can't treat it with restriction. I didn't mean to rhyme there. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it will still jog that, that feeling of addiction and and fixation when we try and treat whatever we think our issue is either compulsive eating or emotional eating or mindless eating or whatever with restriction. It it doesn't actually work. It actually makes the situation way worse. So that was this, when I finally realized that, that was like, it blew my mind. And I realized, you know, when I finally, because when I read the book intuitive eating, which was kind of like halfway through my 10 year diet period, Mm -hmm. I really it really did speak to me. I really did feel like it was information I needed to hear and it was revelatory for me, but it wasn't mm-hmm. intense enough. Like it wasn't talking to me the way I needed to be talked to. It wasn't saying like, Caroline, your obsession with your weight is why you're obsessed with food. Like it wasn't right. laying it out for me the way I needed to hear, the way I needed to hear it. And so I twisted it really quickly into this diet, as I already said. hmm But the thing that really did change it for me was when I realized that my own personal obsession with my weight and trying to micromanage my weight. And a lot of a lot of that for me came from A, I was an actor. I was a professional actor, went to school for acting at NYU. And I was, when when I had this epiphany, I was a couple of years out of school and I had been so obsessed with my weight because in a way for an actor, unfortunately, and there are a million mm-hmm. reasons why this is messed up and it should change. And I think it slowly is changing kind of. Slowly, um, but, sort of. But <laughs> dieting and looking a certain way is part of the job description for a lot of the jobs you're trying to get. Yeah. And so it was this thing that that just felt so important and so mm-hmm. that was a huge huge piece of my own dieting. I also was, I was diagnosed with PCOS when I was a teenager, which actually is the thing that started my dieting. And so there was this other piece for me where I was like, oh, I have to diet. I have to be obsessed with my weight. I, you know, maybe if I can become really thin, like I was as a child, I won't have these problems that developed when I went through puberty. Like it was a little bit backwards, but it also was kind of the stuff that the doctors were telling me. Well, that's what they tell you. you. Right. Absolutely.
0: That's what that's what doctors are constantly telling you, especially with PCOS, right? (laughs) It's all about food and And, diet and weight loss and all that stuff. And
1: meanwhile, I mean, this was it was never presented to me ever. And for most people who have PCOS weight cycling, well, when you go on a diet, one of the
0: it's almost certain that it will cause weight cycling because let's break that down for a second. Because I think I mean, if we start from the beginning, right, Mm -hmm. about like, do diets work?
1: So, you know what I want to do? I want to pull up this really great quote if I can find it. But, you know, I was just writing my second book, which is also a lot about this, but more from my own personal story. Mm -hmm. And I was looking, it was like, okay, I have to, (laughs) my brain is not great with retaining the research. I like do the research oh my God, me neither. <laughs> I write it down. And yep. then when I'm asked to actually like talk about it, I'm like, oh God, so in writing the second book, I was like, God, I have to do the research all over again because mm-hmm. I need to like make sure I cite everything again. And there was this from one of the studies that was done, I think in the you know maybe 2005. Mm-hmm. I'm still looking for it here, but it said it's not a matter of whether you will gain weight back on a diet. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. And, and how much and whether you're going to gain it all back or whether you're going to gain back more. Right. So what they have found and a lot of the, when people are, do this quote unquote studies on a diet, oh, it's proven effective. Yeah. It's proven for six weeks. That's like the exactly. standard. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. when you go past that, yes, of course, people can keep up off weight longer than that. And the other thing that's important to say is a lot of people who do truly keep weight off for the rest of their lives, not everyone You know, there are people who really do tweak their habits, and they're not doing it from this super diet mindset. And it is actually a version of intuitive eating. And you know, there are people who do that, right? Mm -hmm, Who are like, mm -hmm. "Well, I lost weight and I kept it off, and I, you know, that that's fine. That's that's great. If you're if you're enjoying your life and having a great time with the way you eat, I would never ever try and tell you to stop, right? Mm -hmm. But the people that I'm trying to talk to are the people who are really struggling with this, and it's a lot of people. It's a lot of people, and. What I what I was trying to say is a lot of the people who do lose weight and keep it off for many many years, a lot of those people, and in some ways I was one of them for a while, have disordered eating and struggle right. with it and are stressed over it and are thinking about it too often They're and counting every calorie every single day. Yes, and <laughs> okay. and in that time, you know, they may be thinking, you know, this is great, this has really worked for me. Look, and not really, maybe they haven't hit that point where they are like, okay, this is actually taking up way too much of my mental and physical energy. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So this is, I just found it. It says losses are not maintained. This is from a study in 2007, um, by Tracy Mann and other people losses are not maintained as noted in one review. It is only the rate of weight regain, not the fact of rate weight regain that appears open to debate. Hmm. So, and this has been found over, I mean, I have a list of studies in front of me. Sure. Uh, One of the strongest predictors for weight gain is dieting, regardless of the actual body weight of the dieter. So this, this idea that we have to diet because we're gaining weight and we keep gaining weight, we don't realize that as a part of our survival response, we, our bodies will actually purposely a Force us to feel addicted to food, that food addiction we were talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. that's actually a fixation caused by raised hunger hormones when you aren't, you know, when you're chronically under eating or chronically having yourself go back on diets. Our bodies want us to gain weight and then gain more weight than we have forced ourselves to lose. And then and then keep ourselves there because it's protective. Right. So actually dieting has been seen to raise people's kind of natural weight set ranges and people freak out at that understandably because it's this whole cultural thing, right? Yeah. Like this is all right. easier said than done. It's easier said than done to be like, whatever, I don't care anymore. I'm just going to, you know, live my life and not care what anybody thinks of me. It's not easy. But dieting
0: is actively making the whole thing worse. Like it really right. really is. Right. And that's, and, and that's sort of you know, why I really wanted to have this conversation, right? Because it is that thing of, and I remember being there, I, I, I kept saying that I felt like a rat, a rat in a maze. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go on another diet because diets were making me gain weight. Mm-hmm. But if I stopped dieting, then I'd gain weight. And so in my world, weight gain was the worst thing that could ever happen to me, mm-hmm. right? Because... Weight gain made me less of a woman. It made me less desirable. It (laughs) confirmed everything terrible that, you know, my ex-husband or my mother or whoever had ever, all of the messaging that I got as a woman Mm -hmm. that if I didn't conform to, you know, whether it's like the Kate Moss (laughs) sort of, you know, body type that I grew up with or, you know, whatever, whatever it is now, right. Because there's, there's always a version, right that I was then less of a woman. Right. And we, I think so many women suffer with this, right? And so I felt like a rat in a maze. I was like, but if I don't diet, then I'll gain weight. But if I do diet, I'll gain weight. So, oh my God, I'm going to gain weight no matter what I do. And gaining weight is the worst thing in the world. It will completely strip me of my identity. Mm -hmm. And as someone with pretty privilege, that was like horrifying to me. Right, right. And Who am I if I strip away all of these things and I allow myself to gain weight and I allow myself to, you know, not conform, then what? Right. And it's panic. Yeah, it really is. It is. And it's,
1: it really is a cage. Uh And we think, and when we're in the cage and when we're like, or maybe when we think that we're succeeding in the cage, like we're in the diet cage, mm-hmm, but we're mm-hmm. like successfully dieting maybe yep. at the yep. time, it feels like maybe it's worth it, but there usually comes a time where you realize you are in a cage, you are yes. trapped in a cage and you believe um that you, that you have, that you have to be honestly, that you have right. yeah. yourself in the cage. Actually.
0: There's like, there's literally no choice, right? There's, there's no choice in that when you're in the cage, you don't see any other options. Right. And it's terrifying. And if you want that kind of approval
1: from a lot of the different parts of our society or the people in our lives, mm-hmm. we're like, okay, it's worth it to lock ourselves in this cage. Right. Cause it feels safe. It, it feels safer at the time. But as you just said, you got to a point where no matter what you did, it was, there was no way to stay in it
0: anymore. Right. Right. And I, eventually I just had to completely surrender it and it was awful and terrifying and all of the things. And, you know, I can say that, I don't know if, I don't know if we ever get to the other side, right. Of any of these things, but, you know, a few years down the road, (laughs) I can say that food freedom, there is there's almost nothing as liberating to me yeah. as not thinking about food.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's so the, here's another piece of it that we haven't even really touched on yet, but restricting our food is actually really bad for our mental health. It it can right. really make us very, very anxious and not, not even just the anxiety over the situation we're in, but actually chemically mm. anxious, depressed, exhausted, It really does a number on our mental health, actually physically, chemically, and then it does a a number on our mental health just because we are, you know, we feel like, you know, a lot of the times when people do quote unquote successfully lose weight for any number of time We, there's, you know, there's a little moment of euphoria of, oh my God, I did Uh it. Look, I can fit Mm -hmm. into these clothes, but it quickly is followed by panic of, oh my God, I, I have to keep this up because I'm getting all this praise and I'm getting all these compliments and I have to fit into this new wardrobe that I bought. And we want to cling to that so, so much that it, it kind of becomes the sole focus of a lot of our lives. Yep. Absolutely. And is it really worth it? I mean, sometimes it feels that way when you're in it, but it it really isn't. Like it really does a number on you in so many
0: ways. Yeah, I remember. (laughs) I did um I did an infomercial for a an exercise machine, a very famous exercise machine. (laughs) (laughs) um, That I may or may not be able to name. I have no idea. So I'm just not going to. (laughs) (laughs) There's a commercial out there with my, with my face in it, but, and the, the dirty secret. And I don't know how they get away with this. And maybe you can tell me, (laughs) I literally don't know how they get away with this. Right. The commercial says like, we just worked out on this machine for 15 minutes a day (laughs) and we lost 30 pounds. And like, by the way, no, we fucking didn't. right? Right. They put us on a highly restricted. I got free food for 10 weeks, which was awesome. I was so stoked. I got free food for 10 weeks. It was Mm -hmm. 1200 calories a day. And I thought I was going to die. My period stopped. I developed eczema all over my body. I was, I was a complete mess. Mm -hmm. And then they put us on the machine for, I think it was like 45 minutes, three days a week. And then we trained hardcore, doing strength training and weight training with like personal trainers for the another three days a week. So, I so wonder
1: how they get away with that. I wonder if there's like fine print that says like you know with just fifteen minutes a day plus plus quote proper nutrition right, right. like and like, and, yeah. uh,
0: and an active lifestyle or something. Oh, exactly. I, I wonder. Right. They get, they, they're, they're literally lying and it happens all the time. And, you know, I, when I finished that, I was like, this is my ideal body. I finally hit my goal. Right. And again, yes, that panic of like, wait, but now they take the, now they're taking the food away. Mm -hmm. And I didn't care that my period stopped that I had eczema. Like, I was like, whatever, I'm hot. Right, right, Right. Right. Right but now I have to personal, I have to continue to personally train, you know, do personal training three to three, six times a week. I have to continue to eat this tiny amount of food every single day, which isn't enough by the way, which is not enough. The 1200 calorie a day diet that like everybody goes on is what, what is it that they, what's the, you say it's, it's the, the, are you thinking of the Minnesota Starvation Experiment? Yes, but I was also thinking that, like, I think you say in the very beginning of the book, like, basically, what twelve, like, who, who, so, should, it's like for like an well, eight-year-old or something, for right? a four-year-old,
1: a four-year-old, or a two-year-old. It's mm-hmm. literally for like babies, <laughs> and mm-hmm. this person isn't even an anti-diet person, but they, they are food scientist and they said that the two even the 2000 calorie label is really for the most part only enough to sustain children but they were afraid that if they put more than 2000 on the recommendation for adults that we would overindulge which just like speaks to this big like cultural lack of trust mm-hmm. in food and appetite and weight gain and just this fear of humans overindulging, even even though then they're going to recommend less, not understanding or maybe not caring that recommending less actually is the thing that drives quote unquote binging and overindulging. So it's just is mind boggling. I I interrupted your story, but no, 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 yeah, 1200
0: it's- calories is not enough. It's, it's not, not enough, enough food. Enough. No, it's not enough food. And as, as is evidenced by the fact that I, my period stopped and I got eczema, yeah. Quite, like my body was reacting. And then of course, then we, then, you know, the diet stops and then we quote binge, mm-hmm. right. Which Is the natural response to starvation. Literally
1: try like your if you look at it from a from a survival famine perspective, your body is trying to get your baseline, it's trying to get your calorie baseline back. It's trying to like basically overcompensate Mm -hmm. for all the time that you spend. Undereating. eating. So whether it's like the 10 week diet plan that you were on or whether it's kind of chronically putting yourself back on diets. Cause a lot of people will say, yep. you know, well, I'm really not an undereater. I I'm a binger. Right. And I totally, that's exactly what I thought. Whenever Me I, <laughs> whenever I would hear someone say restriction causes binging, I was like, yeah, but my, but my problem is overeating. Like my problem is not under eating. Little did I understand or know or understand that I was constantly every single time I ate when I wasn't bingeing when I was choosing a meal when I was choosing a snack when I was deciding what I was going to buy at the grocery store was all about how can I eat the smallest amount possible for every meal and snack yep. how can I eat the smallest amount of carbs possible and then I would quote unquote blow it and feel guilty and decide I would needed to be even better the next day and then when I would binge I'd be like, oh, look, I'm a food addict, not understanding that all of that time and energy spent trying to eat
0: the smallest amount possible was the reason that I was binging all the time. Right, right. And it's a it's a psychological response, but it's also a biological survival mechanism. Yes, for sure. Right? We're constantly starving ourselves, Our bo- and, and especially those of us who were chronic dieters, right? Because then our body knows, like, oh, Here's okay the the famine is over. Mm-hmm. We know there's going to be another one in 8 weeks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for exactly. 8 weeks we better store up. Exactly. Right? Uh,
1: yeah, Ugh. eat as much as we can, go on our bender and mm-hmm. then gain that weight back and hold on to it. Right. Like weight loss legitimately becomes harder because our bodies don't want it to happen at right. a certain point. Yeah, and it's all of these things that when I when I finally realized this, I was like, why is this like secret knowledge? Like, why doesn't anybody know that? And that's why I started writing about it. I was trying to help my, it was like a creative outlet for my own healing process. But I was also like, this is crazy that, that this is like news to people, but it's this consistent phenomenon that so many of us are experiencing. And by the
0: way, so, right. And so, okay. So let's, let's talk about that. Let's, why is it news to people? Why is there a 60 billion, I think it's up to 72 now. I heard 72, six between 60 and 72 yeah. billion yeah. dollars. That's with a B industry that is dedicated to making us believe this stuff that's patently false. Yeah.
1: I well in in the case of the actual diet companies, I under I understand why they're like, great, this is an amazing situation that people get themselves into. It's like this. Self perpetuating thing that'll have repeat customers. Like mm-hmm. they, they have a golden business. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Business, business model. <laughs> model. Yeah, there you yeah. go. It's it's like amazing. And it's why they make so much money. It doesn't work consistently. We all believe it's this. So the, the biggest problem, in my opinion, is that it's become this like cultural myth. It's like, right. You know, and I actually spend a lot of time. In this, my second book, especially, which is not out yet, but I'm—I just kind of finished working on it. It's going to be out next year. But I and I talk about it in the Fuck It Diet as well. But I spent even more time in the second Mm -hmm. book trying to compare the mentality around this cultural obsession with thinness to kind of like a cult mentality. Uh huh. It's like when people tell you all of the reasons that it's actually not true and actually not that healthy and actually problematic and all of these other things that kind of combat this brainwashing, this cultural conditioning that we all have. And I mean, not just us actresses, you know, it's it's literally embedded into the medical industry and and medical community as well and medical school and big pharma and all of this, like it is our, it's a big brainwashing. And I believe that there are a lot of doctors and people who work in quote unquote obesity that really genuinely believe that they are doing important work and helping people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I don't want to go out there and say that these people are terrible people. I don't think that at all, but it it is this like, it's this really bizarre cultural obsession. Yeah. And when we hear, I was trying to say, Minute ago, that when we hear all of the things that kind of disproves what we all assume to be true, we can't handle it. Like it's that, and that's the cult piece of it of like, no, no, that doesn't like that doesn't jive with the way, you know, the way of of righteousness and purity and health and responsibility. Like that, that's wrong. That's irresponsible. And it's so it's it's so much bigger than than it may even seem like it is, it is ingrained in our psyches and it's, it's a problem. Like it really is, but it's the reason that we, that we, you know, that so many people, the first thing that they try is weight loss, because we all just assume that that is the important, healthy, responsible, good thing to do. And it's really usually only the people who fail so miserably and get so miserable from doing it that are like, wait, is this really
0: like, is this really the way that it's supposed to be? Right? Is this really making me happy? Right? Because that's the myth. The myth mm. is like you get thin and then you'll be happy. yeah, exactly. and i and I think that that's it becomes so miserable. <laughs> the pursuit of thinness can be so miserable. So miserable. And then we th- and then we think it's us, right? Well, I'm right. doing it wrong. I'm I am the problem. That um, is the reason that it's such a good business model mm-hmm. the word I couldn't come up with
1: because when we fail on a diet, it seems just like the food addiction thing. It really, really seems like it is our own personal fault. It is a great because everyone else can do it. Yeah. Everyone else can do it. I did it for, I did it for eight weeks and I was so good at it, ugh, but I couldn't keep with it because of my food addiction or my willpower issues, or I'm a lazy person and we blame it on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Diets blame it on us too. Oh, you just, Oh have yeah.
0: And willpower. And so we willpower. Keep going you back. just don't have the but we just you just don't have the willpower.
1: Exactly. Instead of, oh, your entire body and being and mind is actually wired against this thing that actually isn't that good for you, which we haven't even really gotten into
0: why it's genuinely not good for you.
1: Like it's okay. not good let's, for us.
0: Right. So let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about why it's not good for us.
1: So one of the huge myths is that the healthiest way to live is to constantly micromanage the food that you eat and constantly micromanage your weight and try and get your, you know, that everybody would be healthier if they were all the exact same small lean size. And it's, that's ignoring a lot of things. And one of the biggest things that it's ignoring is body diversity, which Mm. genuinely, Uh genuinely exists. It's Uh, a thing. It's a thing different. And it's, very, our body sizes our are very, very genetic. I saw something the other day that said seventy percent of our body size is is dictated by genetics. Mm. And yes, habits will habits, and then maybe chronic dieting and chronic binging because of the chronic dieting will also maybe change your weight and change your Mm. weight set point. But so much of where we start off and where our bodies actually just want to comfortably and, and healthfully rest is genetic. And some people are in naturally thinner bodies and that is where their bodies will be healthiest. And some people are in naturally bigger bodies and that is where their bodies will be healthiest. And those people are constantly told that they need to try and starve themselves into smaller bodies with the promise that they'll be healthier, but often they become less healthy. Like you said, it can take away your period. It can ruin your hormones. It will, and as I said earlier, it always, you know, that the the proof that they have from the Mm -hmm. studies, the Mm -hmm. actual studies that they do that are long-term and not just six weeks long, that there's always the weight regain. So what they have seen is that dieting causes weight gain and then weight cycling because in our culture, we are encouraged then to go on another diet. So it's this mm-hmm. up and down and up and down and up and down. And what they have seen is that weight cycling going up and down and up and down and up and down from dieting is one of the worst things we can do for our health. It raises inflammation. It worsens insulin resistance. It, it is one of the main causes of insulin resistance, which is the other thing that's so frustrating with the fact that I was told to diet as a teenager for PCOS, where insulin resistance is one of the big things, mm. the assumption is, oh, just eat really well and exercise every day and you'll get rid of your insulin resistance instead of the reality, which is you're gonna lose weight. You're gonna gain it back you're going to try to lose weight again. You're going to do this for years or decades of your life. And it's going to worsen your fucking health.
0: (laughs) It's going to worsen your insulin resistance. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, and there's, there are all of these things too. Like if you've ever heard of the obesity paradox, quote unquote, you know, there are a lot of people who actually are invested in intuitive eating and anti-diet health that are, that work with eating disorders and actually are looking at the data and they're like they call it a paradox because it is counter to what we believe about weight and higher weights and weight gain but the obesity paradox is not a paradox at all it's just this shocking thing that they find that people in the overweight BMI category and even the obesity category have better health outcomes, longer lifespans than people in the normal BMI category, and that they have better protection from certain heart conditions and this and that. All of these things that we think would be the opposite. And then when (sighs) they find it in the research, they're like, oh, that's a paradox because obesity is, and, you know, being quote unquote overweight is always inherently bad right so
0: this must be a paradox instead of seeing okay <laughs> maybe your initial belief yes. was flawed yes. was actually anti-scientific and and of
1: course you know then people people will always come back and say well are you really saying that obesity is healthy there are so many things that go into health one of the other things that we haven't talked about either is what a negative how hard it is on your health to constantly be in a state of stress,
0: Mm -hmm, constantly
1: mm -hmm. be in a state of guilt and Mm -hmm. constantly being in a state of putting yourself on diets and weight cycling and being stressed when you go to the doctor and having them just totally focus on your weight and say, oh God, will you gain some weight? Or, oh, you really haven't been working on your weight. The actual effects of what they call weight stigma affects our health, affects that people's health, arguably worse than any weight gain or actual weight itself. So people have said a lot of the quote unquote negative effects of obesity can actually be attributed to weight stigma. People who are open to actually seeing this quote unquote paradox and understanding mm-hmm. that it's not a paradox. Mm-hmm and who have studied weight stigma from a neutral perspective, not from a how can we still force people to lose weight because that's just what we assume is best for people Mm -hmm. have seen that the quote unquote ill effects of being a higher weight can almost all be attributed to weight stigma.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The stress, the the stress stress of fat phobia of, of the way that people treat you, not, not the fact that you're, overweight, quote, yeah. overweight, right? But the way that society makes you feel about it. Yeah. And this is, this is not just all kinds of stigma can do this. And there was mm-hmm. even a study mm-hmm.
1: that showed that, you know, even just per- perceived discrimination
0: mm. can
1: raise blood pressure, can cause that kind of chronic stress that does affect your health, that affects your immunity, it, it affects your insulin resist it, it affects your body. So so this piece of stress in our health that, you know, we like casually talk about it but I don't think we understand as a culture how much of an impact it has mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on our health. Right.
0: So so let's talk about what this kind of has to do with, I mean, from, from my perspective, right, what this has to do, and, and I think yours too, <laughs> what this has to do with feminism, right? Mm. There's there's something to me about this entire conversation that is really important because it is an entire system that's been created to, among many others, to have women not listen to themselves. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right? Yes. So it feels to me like it's it's a huge part of the, it's like a huge foundational brick in the patriarchal structures that we've erected over time that are, you know, it's just another way, right? But it's a huge, I think it's a foundational brick in this way in which we teach women that their, intuition about themselves. They're knowing their, Mm -hmm. their appetite is too much,
1: right? Their bodies are too much. It really, I mean, it is, it is a cage. It is a Mm -hmm. a cage. It is, it is a cage of our own beliefs that Mm -hmm. we are not worthy as women Mm -hmm. of love or success or happiness or health if we do not look a certain way and have constant control over our bodies and our appetites and our desires. And yes, I mean, I, I, it is worth saying, you know, I think more and more men are kind of getting disordered eating Mm -hmm. and it's almost like a, a fallout of a little bit more equality. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the club boys. (laughs) However, I would say still culturally men are considered men if they are not super ripped women are Mm -hmm. definitely treated very differently when Mm -hmm. they don't fit into the little frail thin woman mold yeah and so it really is this this cage of belief that we feel stuck in and it's it's not it's not easy. Like you said, it's not easy to just stop caring right. because there will be people in your life. Maybe people that are very close to you who give you a really hard time about it, who don't understand it, 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 Again, it is this sort of like cult thing. Like if you were mm-hmm. saying, you know what, I don't really think I want to stay in this cult anymore. The response from the people in the cult. And I know this sounds like an exaggeration, but it really is a, a parallel Sort of way that we think and act. Mm -hmm. The the response from the people in the cult would be, "What are you talking about? This is the way. This is the way. This is dangerous. You're going to be shunned. You're going to, you know, you're 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 going to get fat. Yes, yes, yes. And isn't (laughs) that the worst thing? And I'm so worried about you. I'm gonna. I'm so worried
0: about. I'm so
1: worried about your health. Yes, that like. And I think that people really do think that that's what they're worried about, but. It's just, yeah. it's, it's just does, yeah, it's just, it's very controlling and it doesn't have it, enough information and empathy about what someone is actually going through. Yes. And it's not listening to the person usually.
0: And it also, you know, I had an experience in the past few years where my coming out of, you know, my, my journey to healing in this area mm-hmm. coincided with the pandemic
1: Mm. and
0: being stuck in my house. Yeah. And I was chronically ill and I was chronically ill and I had so much, there was so much pain. I was so much joint pain. I could barely walk. I had trouble breathing. I, there was all this stuff going on and it coincided with giving up dieting and gaining weight. And so everyone in my life was like it's it's obviously the weight gain um and especially and the concern and like but it's but like and i'm like yeah i'm i'm doing this is important for my mental health and they're like but what about your physical health right and so when everyone was focused right. on that what was missed was the fact that and and finally was discovered but after years was that i had mold poisoning oh my god Right. Because, right. And so when would we ignore focus, that and say, sure. just, just
1: weight, right,
0: right. All of my symptoms were completely indicative and mold poisoning is something that doctors aren't necessarily looking for. Like I had to go to a fun- functional medicine doctor and have right. these very random, weird tests yes. before that shit showed that
1: up. It was like me and parasites. That was like a big thing for, for my chronic health too. That like, again, right. only a functional medicine doctor was like, oh, I need to give you parasite medicine. And right. Clear it up like pretty serious headaches and like all of this chronic exhaustion, exhaustion in another, in another headspace, I would have blamed on me not eating a perfect paleo diet or whatever. But I was like, it can't be the diet. Like I don't eat that badly. Yeah. I'm on the fuck it diet, but I've been doing this for a long time. And anyway, yeah, I totally, it's so frustrating because there are so many people who are dealing with issues that are not caused at all by weight or the food they're eating, but that's all they're being told. And that's all that they're assuming.
0: Exactly. So, a lot of people, doctors are missing legitimate chronic illnesses and diagnoses because they're like, well, go on this diet or eat this or go, you know, you should try. Have you tried keto? And it's like, seriously, yeah. It's what did you have to
1: do for the mold poisoning?
0: Um, Move out of my house yeah, and <laughs> have well. I mean, I fortunately I rent, so I I called my landlords and I was like, "Hey, I'm out. You need to find where the mold is." Yeah. So it cost them a fortune, and they they found it and they cut it out and they remediated, and then I had wow. to go on all these you know supplements and cost of yeah. those cost a fortune. And yeah,
1: yeah,
0: but night and day, yeah, night yeah. and day, totally. I couldn't walk. So, I mean, it was so bad. It was so, so bad. So all of my, all of my joint pain, all of that is gone. And, and then I, and then right after I was diagnosed, I got COVID. So Oh
1: God, (laughs) more exhaustion.
0: So my lungs have been hammered. So it's getting back into regular exercise has been like a challenge about like, you know, but that's a story for another, another day. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor today. Today's sponsor is Soberlink. Now the Soberlink system is designed to make parenting time safer with real-time remote alcohol monitoring. Soberlink uniquely combines a breathalyzer with wireless connectivity and is the only system that includes facial recognition, tamper detection, and advanced reporting. Parents can submit a test anytime, anywhere... Thanks to Soberlink's wireless technology, which delivers test results by text message or email to the concerned parties. Simplify co-parenting arrangements by using the system that provides transparency and proof of sobriety throughout the day. Flexible schedules combined with real-time delivery of results make Soberlink the experts in remote alcohol monitoring technology. And for a limited time, get $50 off your device by emailing info at soberlink.com and mentioning the Divorce Survival Guide. And now back to our show. I just want to talk about a couple, two more things. Mm-hmm. And I think they're connected, actually. The first thing is emotional eating, right? We mm. always talk about like emotional eating. And it's so bad. You know, you're just emotionally eating. Right. Right? Like. Emotional eating emotional eating is like actually a thing <laughs> and it's actually yeah. not it's not bad for you.
1: Yeah, there are a couple ways of of looking at it and talking about it. The first one is that we are human, we are not robots. We are we are we do not need to expect ourselves to only eat for fuel, right? Mm -hmm. we are allowed to eat for pleasure. We're allowed to eat when we've had, we're allowed to eat for comfort. We're allowed Mm -hmm. to eat when we've had a bad day. We're allowed to do all of these things. It is morally neutral. It is actually also neutral on a health, like from a health standpoint. So emotional eating is not inherently bad. So that's the first thing. But the other thing is when we have, well, okay. So when we are dieters, When we're in that kind of chronic state of food fixation, we are more wired to seek out food for comfort. So it actually so food and emotional eating actually becomes a quote unquote better drug or more of an effective kind of mood stabilizer. We're Mm -hmm. actually like, we're more rewarded in our brains chemically for eating when we're chronic dieters and when foods are out of are restricted or forbidden. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. being a dieter and being in that state actually exacerbates kind of more dysfunctional quote unquote Mm -hmm. emotional eating. Mm -hmm. But also you could look at it from the perspective of, well, like I said earlier, chronic dieting does cause anxiety and all of these things that eating actually soothes. So you're right. almost creating the problem in the first place sometimes, mm-hmm. but also, you know, there's no problem with using food as a way to soothe, especially if you have other coping mechanisms, especially if you have a therapist and you're committed to working through those issues. It doesn't even have to be at that moment. It can be at a later time. It's okay to eat, to soothe, mm-hmm. but to also understand that, a lot of people who thought, and I, me included, thought that emotional eating was their main problem. Like I thought my binging was emotional eating mm-hmm, and I just mm-hmm. feel all my emotions and not eat, you know, not eat when I was feeling sad or whatever. thought that that was the main problem. Once I actually stopped dieting and healed my relationship to food, emotional eating is like, I don't even, I, I don't, I don't even know if I ever do it. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's just become such a non-issue because when food is allowed all the time and when you're out of that kind of place where you're so fixated on food, it, it's not, you're not going to primarily go to it because you're like, well, I just ate. Right. (laughs) I'm not even hungry. I'm just gonna, I guess I'll cry or I guess, you know, like, you know, it, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't work the way that it, it, it used to. And and I say that, you know, I say work, you can look at it in a good way or a bad way, but it, it doesn't have the same effect. And it kind of falls away as a coping mechanism.
0: Totally. You know, it's really, it it also, I was just talking to my therapist about this, who's amazing. And she was talking about like how stimulating the parasympathetic, you know, that we're talking about the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. Right. And like when you're activated in trauma, you're, I can never remember which is sympathetic and parasympathetic.
1: Parasympathetic (laughs) is the rest, um, is the rest, is the rest rest digest.
0: And the sympathetic
1: is the, is the.
0: Uh, fight or flight is the trauma. right? And so, when you are, when you go to emotionally eat, you're actually stimulating the mm-hmm. rest digest. Yes, yes. Which is actually a, it is literally physiologically soothing you yes. and taking you out yes. of yes. A, of a trauma response.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's not so emotional eating is like not only is it legitimate or whatever, or it could be you know a response to dieting and all of that, but also it could be exactly what you fucking need. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
1: Truly, truly. And you know, when you're in that sympathetic state, you know, a lot of people it's not fight flight eat. It's fight or flight or freeze, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know. The eating mm-hmm. is the part where you're you're kind of thawing out. So again, mm-hmm. just like you said, it's good. It's maybe it's good. even good, but because people feel so guilty about it, it actually puts us into this anxious state. So so you actually aren't allowing yourself to do the full re- relaxation and the full thawing because you're getting anxious over the fact that you're eating because of right. all of our beliefs about food. So that is why it is so unhelpful for us to have all of this guilt and all of these unhelpful self-punishing beliefs about food and about eating. Because we're we're causing the stress that we're
0: actually eating to tame.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, <laughs> truly. So, okay, so the last thing I want to talk to you about uh, or want to ask you about is I would I want to ask you about like 17,000 more things. I feel like there's so many things we didn't talk about. But you are you are writing another book. Your new book mm-hmm. that's coming out next year is about rest. It and is. I think that this is like we're in the perfect segue <laughs> yeah. to rest. And one of the exercises that you give in the book that, of course, I conveniently completely forgot about, and then I, when I was reviewing the book before this episode, I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> that you tell us readers to lie down for 10 minutes every single day. Uh-huh. I mean, it sounds like the most simple thing in the world, but I know people are
1: very resistant.
0: 10 <laughs> minutes of rest without your phone, with no distraction, just literally lie down on the fucking floor uh-huh. for 10 minutes. So, why is rest so important? And why do we fucking panic <laughs> about it? Yeah.
1: Well, there are so many reasons. Um, one of them is that we so rarely spend time without distraction i think that's one of the reasons that we resist it so much because we're going to be forced to kind of deal with whatever feelings or whatever thoughts we might have been avoiding so there's a discomfort there Mm -hmm. there's also there's a parallel i think in my opinion to um with diet culture and with productivity culture so both of them are the you know they have these sets and they're very there's a lot of overlap between the two as well but, you know, we have a lot of guilt if we're not constantly dieting and constantly exercising, and we have a lot of guilt if we're not constantly doing something and constantly being productive. We don't really think we deserve to, or we don't think we deserve or or have time for, or can afford to just take a moment and breathe and just be. And our resistance to that, I, I think I think it's half symbolic and half very practical. It can keep us really stuck. It can keep us stuck in a fight or flight place. It can keep us Mm -hmm. stuck in distraction. It can, and it can, a lot of us are really, really tired and burnt out. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we don't even feel how tired we are until we start to allow ourselves to do less. And then it's like your body, it's sort of like the same thing with what, with the refeeding process, which we didn't even talk about, but Oh God, yeah, it's fine. People can learn for themselves, (laughs) but you know, often when you stop dieting and try and listen to your body, there's a, there's a very significant period of very extreme hunger And it's one of the reasons why a lot of people don't heal their relationship with food because they experience the hunger and they're like, this can't be good. I I can't be trusted. I'm a food addict. This is proof. And they Mm -hmm. go back on a diet and they never go through the process. But actually, like we were saying, it's this kind of restorative, protective thing where your body's like, great, let's eat. Let's, let's heal. Let's kind of restore. Let's gain back some weight. Let's repair bone loss. Let's do all this stuff. And I, I have seen that happen a lot with people who begin to rest as well. Mm. They get really, 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 really tired for sometimes a couple months and it, and it scares them. They're like, this can't be good, but it's their body being like, you have been nonstop stressed and doing things and dieting and working and never taking a moment to stop and breathe for your entire life. And it's time to do some repair. Yeah. And so I think, I think it's a little, you know, it's a little window into, okay, look, I try with the book, you know, with the tools in the book, I tried to make them so basic and I made it <laughs> so basic that some people will read them and be like, that's too basic to help you know, right, allow right. food, lie down, do a little journaling,
0: <laughs> a little, journaling. <laughs> right. It, Breathe. What? But, but these are things that are like, like I said, like you said, like lie down for 10 minutes and my brain went pass. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I know. You know. I know. Cause it's, they're simple, but oof, Ooh, I know. I was, there was a great, someone, this woman did a TikTok video. I don't even know who she was, but someone shared it in my Facebook group. I think about, about rest, about like lying down and resting and obsessing about all of the things that you're not doing while you're resting is not rest.
1: Right. It's (laughs) not rest. And that's actually, that is actually like, when I say that my second book is about rest, Mm -hmm. a lot of people are like, Oh, you mean like rest from exercise or like sleep? Actually, No, (laughs) it's actually about the two years that I took to try and not feel guilt over rest. It was about that next piece of, well, if you're feeling guilty about rest the entire time, you're not resting. You're You're stressing
0: out. Right. You're,
1: you're reactivating those stress hormones. Yes. And the same thing with eating. If you are quote unquote, allowing food, but feeling guilty about it the entire time, I mean, you're going to stay stuck and that's a part of the process. We feel guilty, but but, but it's a, important to be aware of that that mental piece that can mm-hmm. still kind of act as restriction if we continue to just feel guilty about it. Our bodies are going to be like, okay, well, when are you putting me on a diet? Like we're not really allowed to eat, are we? Exactly. Exactly. What do you
0: so what do you see? Are do you see a shift culturally mm. right now around it's really this? It's hard for me to know because I do
1: feel like I'm in a little bubble. I- Especially online. It's really like, hard, right? Yeah, I really feel like I've surrounded myself and I with and I follow all of these people who are like-minded, and they're doctors and psychologists and dietitians and clinicians that that get it and are trying yes. to communicate similar things. So I'm like, wow, what an amazing world! But it's a very small community and it's a very Uh small slice. And I do, you know, I, I I think it's way better than it was 20 years ago. Yeah, I really do. I think there is more awareness. I think there is more diversity in Hollywood. I think there is a, there's more talk about body diversity. You know, there's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely better, but I think that there is a long way to go because Mm -hmm. there still is, you know, I think the majority of our culture is still kind of stuck in that brainwashing assumption that, food is bad and dangerous and we got to be careful and we're food addicts and mm-hmm, there's still body mm-hmm. ideals that we're all kind of slaves to a little bit. And
0: yeah,
1: I think it's going a, 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 to take a lot to, to completely have it, have a different cultural outlook yeah. on all of this.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. One of the things that I notice it, Cause I'm, I'm sort of similar to you. Like I don't follow anyone who doesn't have this mindset. And if they, and if they, and if they sort of post things about dieting, whatever, it's a quick unfollow for me. So it, so I also feel like I'm in a little bit of a bubble, but I also look at something like Peloton, mm-hmm. right. Which because the fitness industry is such a, it's so caught up in all of this, right. Mm-hmm. And they don't, they don't talk about it they don't talk about diet. Like I've never heard a single teacher Peloton teacher talk about diet. You know, you've got, there's body, there is body diversity on their. Tr- and I sort of thinking about that and realizing like, oh, okay, this is, that's great. Yeah. It's, I mean, it is interesting. There's, you know, I'm one sure of,
1: that there's someone who's aware of it there and maybe there, yes, you they know, are for better or for worse. It's, it's, it's a little trendy right now. Mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm. was one of the things when I was selling my book to publishers, I was like, look, you know, I believe in this hundred percent, but it's also a trend. Mm-hmm. Body positivity is a trend. Like yep. you know, you have to you have to <laughs> make them convince that it's actually something right. that is that is wanted and is going to sell. But right, you know, I, I think that there is a good side to it being a trend. There's also a bad side where it can be kind of superficial and not actually understanding the full scope of it. But the fact that it's a trend. You know, and maybe they're a little bit afraid to get backlash and to to be, quote unquote, canceled, which I am not about cancel culture at all. But if that's part of their, you know, they probably that it probably is the reason that they Mm -hmm.
0: are doing that. And I think their CEO is really we're kind of getting off topic. But like, you know, he has sent out massive emails about Black Lives Matter and like cultural, like cultural Things that yeah, that if they're really tapped matter. into
1: you know, because yeah, if they're tapped into that kind of world, yeah. then that makes sense to me that they have their pulse on okay, we can't yep. we have to be inclusive mm-hmm.
0: here. They we are can yeah. we
1: can't make this be some elitist thing and they have gotten a lot of Pushback. I think maybe that is even part of it for being this extremely expensive yes. thing that no one can mm-hmm. afford. So maybe mm-hmm. they were like, you know what? Well, in the service that we provide, I don't know what it's called because I don't have it, but mm-hmm. all their streaming stuff. Maybe right. they're just aware of that. And I think that yeah. that's that. I see that's the thing that I see shifting a little bit. That would never yeah. have existed
0: fifteen years exactly. ago. Exactly. Exactly. And what I and what I look at is 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 the the pro like just how popular peloton is and i really think it's because consciously or unconsciously we are craving Mm -hmm. moving away from this yeah like you you do a class that's not about like burn off that muffin you ate or like you know and and people people love it. They feel safe. Frankly, yep. they feel safe. That is what people, and
1: that is the, that was another big thing. I mean, there are a million things we didn't touch on because it's impossible to get into everything in a one hour conversation. But one of the other big things, like there's all this gatekeeping for fitness where it's like, yeah, you know, you feel shamed out of it if you don't already fit into the whatever, or if yeah. you're going to be triggered and re-triggered by the person talking about burning and sculpting and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Like we it is better for us to engage in movement, which is really good for us when we Mm -hmm. are fed and rested to engage in movement for the sake of feeling better, feeling stronger, pumping our blood, breathing deeply, like all of these things. It's it's good for us on so many levels, but focusing on the way we look actually distracts from making sure that we're doing it in a way that feels good where we're listening to our body, where we're, where we're taking (laughs) the days of rest when we need it, you know?
0: Well, and that's what I was going to say, like, you don't, you can't know that it feels good if you're so disconnected from your body because you've been, you know, starving it or not listening to it or shoving away your, like all of your cues right? Like when you're so disconnected from yourself, you don't even know what feels good, let alone yeah. what feels bad. Yeah. Know? And I will say, I mean, before,
1: when I was dieting, exercise was fucking torture. torture. It was so hard because I was so hungry and chronically mm-hmm. underfed. When I started eating more <laughs> exercise was like, Oh,
0: well, this right. isn't that bad. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm gonna die.
1: Yes. Um, that was a that was something that I know when I noticed that I was like, wow, okay. So it
0: doesn't have to feel like I'm gonna just pass out all the time. That's right. nice. Yeah, when I was doing that infomercial, the all of that working out was was torturous. I I yeah. wanted I almost passed yeah. out every day because I didn't yeah. I didn't have the energy, literally and didn't have. Cre- calories and then, and are energy.
1: Like, yes. And it's our bodies literally being like, don't do this. It's yeah, like, We don't
0: have it in us to do right. this right now. Totally. And we just,
1: we just think it's,
0: we're weak. As we said, we could, there's so much more that, there's so much more to cover, but bottom line I would say is to everybody is go buy Caroline's book the fuck it diet. There's actually more in it than what we talked about. There's so much more. (laughs) There's so much more. Um, Carolyn, thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome.
1: This was so fun. Oh, where can people find you? You can find me if you're on Instagram. I am on Instagram way too much (laughs) at the fuck it diet. I don't think it's too much. I love (laughs) (laughs) it. But some people would would say that it's too much and it might be too much. But you can also, if you're not on Instagram, you can go to thefuckitdiet.com. You can read the beginning of the book from there to see if you jive with the writing style and the beginning of the book. I have a podcast that's on hiatus right now, but there's a lot to listen to. You can read lots of stuff on my website. I have a blog that goes back to 2012 when I started writing about this. And yeah, if you want to read the book, you can find it anywhere books are sold. It's called The Bucket Diet.
0: And oh, that's amazing. And do you have a title for your new one? Yes.
1: It's going to be called Tired As Fuck. <laughs>
0: this is why I love you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It was going to be called two years of rest. That's what we sold it as. But as I kept writing it, I was like, it's not really about the two years of rest. It's like kind of about the exhaustion and all of our cultural exhaustion and things that exhaust us and then the two years of rest. So I was like, it needs to be called something else, but it's so perfect. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's so perfect. Because by the way, I know like 7,000 women who will buy a book called Tired as fuck. Yes. I'm so glad. I, know, I hope. I hope. <laughs> we're all so, tired as fuck. Exactly. We're all tired as fuck. Oh my God. All right. Caroline, thank you so much for coming on and talking about thank this. Thank you so much
1: for having me. It was great. It was a great time.
0: Awesome. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide Podcast.